Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And uh, after a one-day hiatus, we are back rolling through the questions. We've still got a bunch to get through. And uh, I, I figured we, we were just talking before we started recording here, Frank, and running through some of the questions we have for today. And uh, I figured we should start with a question from Anthony E. Birch. He asked if we can rank the top 10 draft busts of the Milwaukee Bucks. So I don't know whether we're going to go through 10, but I, I figured we should start this, I think, for the purpose of, of a lot of our listeners have probably you know, certainly been fans for the last decade or so. There'll, there'll be some new fans, but for the most part, I think everyone will remember the draft picks from Andrew Bogut onwards. That was obviously his number one overall pick in 2005. So I figured we keep it between... Uh, that draft and now and uh, we, we did mention a few in DMs before this but I, I think the two obvious picks that stand out uh, for most Bucks fans would be pick 6 in 2007 with E and then pick 8 in 2008 with Joe Joe, Joe Alexander uh, unfortunately neither of those two had long or prosperous careers with the Bucks but I think anytime you have back to back top 10 picks and really get nothing out of them production wise on the court. That's, uh, that's, that's not great drafting. No, I mean, I think at the time uh, when Joe Alexander had his third year option decline, I think he was the highest pick to ever not get his third year option picked up. So that was obviously a, um, you know, not so, not so great uh, way to go into the record books for, for hashtag seed, Joe dunk. Um, and obviously E, I think that, you know, what, what sort of rescued E a little bit was just the fact that they traded him before kind of everybody realized that, you know, he was never going to, you know, he was an old, an older player, you know, his, his sham age thing, right? Um, Bucks, unfortunately, have a history with players who <laughs> were probably a lot older than, than they actually are between uh, E, Ursan, uh, and Thon Maker. Um, uh, ironically, ironically, Ursan at, you know, the ripe old age of at least 32 and almost 33, maybe 35 going on 36, who knows, right? Um, ironically, he's sort of been the guy who, you know, is the Rasputin of, of Milwaukee Bucks basketball, but obviously fun. And, and he, um, guys that had moments very early in their careers. And, you know, I think the fact that they never really improved much probably um, speaks to some of those concerns around them possibly being much older than, uh, than they officially have been listed at. But yeah, he was funny just because, there was so much made of his drafting and, and getting here. Um, and then obviously he's here for one season and then his trade for, you know, Richard Jefferson with Bobby Simmons being basically salary dumb. So it kind of worked out for the bucks. Okay. You know, like it wasn't like a disaster or anything like that. So I, I would say he is definitely not, you know, the, the, the tippy top, but yeah, Joe Alexander was a, was a disaster obviously. And 
Um, ironically, you know, Brooke Lopez going number 10 <laughs> in that draft, you know, for, for a long time was um, kind of the guy that got away, you could argue. And, and obviously, you know, they had Bogan at the time. So there wasn't obviously kind of an obvious fit with, with Brooke, at least, you know, in terms of long-term being a starter. But, um, but yeah, I, I think certainly came full circle with, uh, <laughs> with Brooke Lopez and Robin eventually landing in Milwaukee. Um, I think, you know, looking in, in kind of more recent drafts, um, I mean, it's kind of wild. And again, I mean, the draft is, there's obviously a big sort of crapshoot component to the draft. I think we all should be realistic about that as well. Um, but it's also interesting just looking at, you know, a lot of the names, especially a lot of second round picks. I mean, there are, there are a lot of whiffs on, uh, in the Bucks recent draft history. Um, and I think, you know, certainly of sort of the more recent years, I think two guys that stand out for very different reasons, um, you know, Rashad Vaughn, I think just <laughs> that, I mean, that, that felt like a stretch, you know, at the time. I mean, he was a guy who was talked about as a second round pick and then, you know, right in the days leading up to the draft, it was talking about the Bucks being interested. And then lo and behold, they actually pick him at 17 and lots of rumors of, you know, Jason Kidd kind of pushing for that and, um, you know, kind of strong arming that, that deal. Uh, and obviously, you know, I mean, Rashad had a few moments, certainly in Milwaukee, I think, um, I don't know. It was interesting. I mean, it's kind of funny, like probably his, his best NBA skill was his, was his man defense, which is just weird to say, um, but never did anything well enough to, to obviously kind of earn long-term minutes. And, um, you know, again, at 17, uh, it's not like there were, a, there was a parade of all-stars picked after him necessarily. Uh, but again, just, it felt like, man, that was a stretch at the time. And, um, those are, I think, are always the picks that stand out more, right? Um, the guys who, like, nobody really thought should have been picked there. And then, you know, history bears out that, yeah, that, that probably wasn't a good idea. And sure enough, Rashad Vaughn, you know, not, has not really um, threatened to be a, a real roster player in the NBA since, you know, really since the Bucks left. me had a couple 10 days, I think, after uh, he was dealt. Um, but I think the flip side of that, you know, Jabari Parker at number two, um, I think this is probably the greatest irony of, the Bucks' current um, contention is that, you know, they, they're, they're obviously for so long, we argued about the Bucks not tanking, not bottoming out, so desperately trying to make the eighth seed. And the fact that the one year that they, um, the, the, you know, the year where they, they famously don't tank and they stupidly kind of go for it <laughs> and they make the eighth seed, they end up drafting Giannis Adetokounmpo in 2013. And then the next year when they finally bottom out and they get that pick that, you know, so desperately they need to get that, uh, you know, transformational superstar, they end up taking a guy in Jabari who, you know, literally leaves for nothing a few years later. And as soon as he departs, basically the Bucks suddenly take off and become a 61 team and an NBA championship contender. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things that, um, you know, it's frustrating to look back at, look back at, obviously, because obviously, you know, you see Joel Embiid go right after Jabari and what, what Embiid has become as, as a, you know, legitimate NBA superstar. I'd say after that, obviously, it's much more of a mixed bag. You know, Aaron Gordon, Marcus Smart, Dante, uh, Dante Axum, obviously, um, you know, you don't necessarily look at, at those picks and say, oh, man, the Bucks would be winning championships left and right if only they had, had picked one of those guys. But um yeah, it's it's just so strange with Jabari, you know, because again, you know, he was 
uh, everyone, you know, generally the draft consensus was that he was obviously had the talent to be an all-star. That whole draft was supposed to be, a, you know, a generational draft. And, you know, Javari in many ways is a poster child for how disappointing that draft has, has ultimately turned out. And, you know, Embiid being the biggest risk due to injuries in that draft ends up being really the kind of obvious guy who's, you know, kind of become uh, at least lived up to that hype. Whereas pretty much all the other guys in that, you know, top five, six, have really um, kind of underwhelmed and, and, you know, now with Wiggins, especially uh, being traded, you know, it's sort of, he's, he's also now kind of entering a different chapter of his career, but yeah, Jabari, obviously very disappointing for a lot of reasons. And we could probably talk for, you know, a couple <laughs> episodes about Jabari's tenure in Milwaukee, but that, that one stands out to me. It's, it's kind of a different, different, you know, bust is kind of, bust is a tough term, right? Um, because I think, it means different things in different contexts. Um, depends where you pick, you know, what the real expectations were. Um, but I think just as far as most disappointing 10 years in Milwaukee go out there, even if, you know, I mean, he averaged 20 points a game one season, but, you know, just the injuries and then just the sour taste everybody had um, with the way that his, you know, tenure in Milwaukee ended kind of, you know, basically complaining about not starting and, the effort kind of waxing and waning and just his defense obviously being so up and down. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's a very complex uh, history, let's say that Jabari has in Milwaukee. Um, but, you know, thankfully the Bucks are still where they are, which, you know, again, in so many ways flies in the face of, you know, a lot of, I think the common sense of how you build a team. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinklist. Blinklist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinklist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. 12 million people are using Blinklist right now, and it has a massive and growing library. From self-help, business, health to history books, Blinklist has the latest titles from bestsellers lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinklist, you can get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinklist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to blinklist.com slash NBA. Try for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinklist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinklist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. You also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at blinklist.com slash MBA. So I want to remind you guys about our friends at D1 Milwaukee, our very first local sponsor for Lockdown Bucks. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. All coaches are former D1 collegiate strength and conditioning coaches and athletes. They build science-based programs created specifically to improve athletic performance in a state-of-the-art facility. But given that times are a little bit uncertain right now, we want to move on to their summer camps that they have coming up for your kids. For 7 to 11-year-olds, they will focus on the fundamentals of athleticism. They will spend time each day developing running mechanics, working on balance and coordination, utilizing the fundamentals of movements. The coaches will create a fun, active environment for your young athlete to train in. 
And for 12 to 14 year olds, they're going to give your athlete a competitive edge on their peers, focusing on linear speed and change of direction. Along with progressions in strength training, your athlete will develop extremely quickly with our coach's expert instruction. In order to play with the best, you need to train with the best. A reminder that D1 is located in the Mech 1 Pavilions right off I-43. If you want to get more information, you can hit them up at d1training.com. Keep those summer camps in mind. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. Yeah, it's interesting. Just the last thought on, on the Jabari one, I guess, is that, I mean, obviously Embiid, as you said, is the one guy that everyone looks at. Um, Aaron Gordon ends up going uh, number four in, in that draft. But, uh, you know, even even that draft class, I mean, I, I while it didn't pan out the way that you hope when you get a, a number two pick, it is it is kind of ironic. I mean, you look at it, and, and the reason the Bucks didn't go with Embiid was health concerns. And there's still plenty of question marks over Embiid moving moving forward. Uh, and, and obviously, as good as he's been individually, um, the, there's been concerns, obviously, with the way that Sixers have been able to put a roster together. Maybe that's more uh, due to what the, they've done with the, the rest of the team over there. But outside of that, you have to go all the way down to pick 41 to, to find an all-star with uh, Nikola Jokic. So it's, you know, with those three drafts that we sort of look at, the, the picks behind them, weren't great and, and it doesn't excuse it but it's you know I still think the Jabari Parker pick made a lot of sense at the time the only other one that I would probably bring up is is Thon Maker obviously at pick 10 I mean if you're talking about uh reaching in the draft this was a reach to take him at, at number 10 there was certainly some talk coming into this draft that he could potentially be a second rounder and I think the Bucks ultimately saved themselves by getting Malcolm Brogdon with pick 36 and you end up getting a starting caliber player uh, in Malcolm Brogdon that, uh, you know, we know how that's all panned out. But Thon uh, ultimately had some great playoff moments and, and showed flashes for sure at times, but uh, was overall uh, just just too raw. His skill set wasn't uh, there to be a, a consistent impact player. He was always a guy that was going to be, uh, you know, up and down with his play. And as the Bucks continued to improve, he became a player that it was very difficult to play when you can't rely on him on a, on a consistent nature. And I think the thing when you talk about draft picks there, they reach for Thon Maker, so they go for a big guy. Demantis Sabonis goes pick 11. And I think that's, that's one that you look back and say, okay, I mean, Sabonis now uh, an all-star. Looks like a guy that's just continuing to improve uh, with the paces. And uh, he just got, he signed a pretty decent deal himself with Indiana. But uh, that's probably one you look back on and think that, they probably could have gone in a different direction. Yeah, shout out to a friend of the pod, Mike Clutterbuck, former director of uh, <laughs> analytics with the Bucks. I know Mike, uh, um, to this day, always uh, likes to tell me how um, how Sabonis was his guy in that draft. So what might have been, obviously, um, and and obviously, yeah, it would be probably, you know, different picks here and there. Obviously, you could have shaped this roster differently, especially, obviously, the recent ones. Um, but uh, again, kind of is what it is. And, um, you know, it's just one more reason to be thankful the Bucks have managed to, in spite of all that, kind of get to where they are and why it's important. You know, we talked a lot about Dante the other night, why it's so important that you find value um, and, and, and kind of do the opposite of the reach, right? Where you, yeah. you get a guy that, um, that it basically is, is surplus value relative to uh, an overperforms his draft slot, right? Mal- Malcolm obviously being kind of the, the biggest example in recent years for the Bucks of, of somebody that, that overperformed their draft slot. Cause there are a lot of pretty 
pretty garbage second round picks. If you go back over yeah. the last decade plus, the Bucks have, um, you know, you, you can go back. Michael Red is sort of the most famous, probably of of some of the Bucks second round picks that that really panned out. Um, but uh, you know, and Urson was also second round pick. They had Sessions and, and Luke Richard Bob Mute. So the kind of the 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 odds were pretty were pretty good in terms of second round picks in a lot of ways. Um, but then you kind of go beyond that the last 10 years, here's some of the uh, names of guys that were second round picks of the Bucks. Uh, Tiny Gallon was never <laughs> offered a, a contract, so he never was uh, an actual player, a roster player for the Bucks. Darrington Hobson, oof, multiple injuries, never really, really even got a shot. Deron Lamb, currently in the where are they now file. Um, Johnny O'Brien, man, that, that was a terrible, that was a sneaky, <laughs> terrible pick in 2014 because like, he was even in 2014. Like there were the players like Johnny O'Brien were like dinosaurs even in 2014. Um, you know, like low post power forwards. You know, like what? Why are we drafting Johnny O'Brien? Um, and Damian Inglis, number 31. Um, you know, foot injuries really derailed kind of us favor seeing what what he might have been. But there were some interesting flashes from him, but um, maybe a little too. Uh, lacks uh, with his off-court um, <laughs> intensity as well, based on what kind of some of the rumors we heard. A little too few too many croissants and, and espressos for for Damian. Well, not quite enough uh, focus on improving his basketball game. But uh, yeah, so Brogdon really kind of broke the uh, broke the mold in a lot of ways. Uh, so so we'll see. Um, but last couple of years, um, you know, obviously Sterling, kind of the most recent second round pick and obviously we talked about him having also some bit of an unknown future although at least we've seen him play which is certainly more than we can say for a lot of the Bucks second round picks over the past decade yeah shout out to Darrington Hobson by the way who who just came out to Australia a couple of months ago uh, has been playing in the NBL and was absolutely awful. I, I read a, uh, I, I read a stat. Um, <laughs> I read a stat from uh, one of the one of the guys over here that that runs his own uh, sort of basically started it himself. I, I wish I, I had the website off the top of my head here, but uh, Jordan McCallum, his name is, and he started his own advanced uh, stats website. They really don't have anything like that for the NBL over here. He does he does great work, but I, I saw a tweet from him a couple of months back that said Darrington Hobson, out of all players that qualified, was the uh, worst efficiency offensive player in the entire NBL. So things haven't quite panned out for him, but uh, the, the, the next question, we, we should move on. And that was, you know, it's unfortunate how long we spent talking about that question, to be honest. But uh, the next question we have from Real Tough Moose asks about the worst trades the Bucks have made since 2010. Uh, again, we, we did discuss this prior to recording and there was a couple of uh, trades that came up, but I thought we could start with the Andrew Bogut trade uh, to Golden State. Now, uh, maybe at the time, there were some people that were totally fine with this trade. If you remember, this was Andrew Bogut and Stephen Jackson to Golden State. Uh, the Bucks received Monte Alice, Epe Udo, and also uh, they got Kwame Brown as well. So uh, I think, you know, anytime you trade a number one overall pick that was... Yeah, only sort of five or six years into his career, and uh, clearly Bogut was not the Bogut we thought we were going to see. But prior to the to the arm injury, and if anyone missed this, I replayed 
the uh, the interview we had unlocked on Bucks with Andrew Bogut. He spoke about this trade a little bit. He spoke about the locker room with Stephen Jackson under Scott Skiles, Brandon Jennings, what that environment was like in the Bucks. So if you missed that, you can go back and listen to this. But ultimately, Andrew Bogut was done in Milwaukee. He was frustrated. He wasn't able to play to the level he wanted to play. He was frustrated with the 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 Bucks, as we've already spoke about. Always being in that sort of win now mode. He felt that they were on the treadmill and not really going anywhere. And he wanted a chance to win in a new environment. So Bogut went out. But I think the, the thing that everyone thinks about when they come back to this trade is, could the Bucks have got Steph Curry? And what would have that meant moving forward? Uh, Monte Ellis had a pretty uninspiring uh, career in with the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that's safe to say. And it is hard not to think about at times what it would have been like having Steph Curry in a Bucks uniform. Yeah, I... And I feel like we've heard kind of warring stories over uh, whether how real the Bucks' um, chance of getting Steph Curry was uh, in this trade. And of course, I think the Warriors side has tried to downplay that they ever were really considering doing that. Um, but then we've heard other suggestions that, that they, they would have. <laughs> yeah. But then we've heard other suggestions that they were, you know, more willing, even if it wasn't just purely like, switching out Monte in the trade. Maybe it's a different trade, but um, I don't know. It seems like there was maybe something there, which obviously is um, kind of a fun what if. Um, I think, you know, if the Bucks do land Steph Curry in, in 2012, like where where do they end up, right? Like how does their fortune change? Um, I mean, you, you think about Giannis being picked at the 15 spot in 2013 and, you know, the stories about Atlanta being at 17 and trying to move up to get him. Um, you know, if you have Steph Curry and are a better team the following year, uh, do you, are you even in a position where you can draft Giannis, right? Um, it's a, it's a very interesting hypothetical, uh, which, you know, again, is just one of those kind of sliding doors things. I mean, again, there are obviously some very trying years, um, over the following, you know, after that trade where the Bucks were obviously kind of adrift for, for quite some time. Um, but I, I don't know. I, at this point, you know, I, I don't lose sleep over it simply because, I mean, look where the Bucks are now, right? I, I, as much as Steph Curry is, you know, one of the greatest players, of, I mean, he'll go down as one, I think, one of the greatest players of all time, probably one of the greatest, I don't know, 15, maybe 10 players of all time. Um, you know, Giannis obviously has, has every chance to do the same. And, um, you know, I think just, again, you know, Giannis feels like he's our guy, right? When you're a Bucks fan, like it's, it's difficult to imagine any scenario it's difficult to imagine wanting any scenario that very likely means that Giannis's time in Milwaukee gets, gets erased, right? <laughs> like, you know, the back of the future thing, you're know, getting erased disappearing from the, the photograph or whatever. Um, yeah. I, I, I think things kind of worked out. And, and again, we, we had to suffer through a lot of very lean years and questionable decision-making, but you know, um, we can say it about, about all the bad trades the Bucks have made, I suppose, but I think that one in particular, um, you know, the, the, the counterfactual of what happens if the Bucks have Steph Curry, uh, it's fun to think about, but again, would they have even been able to leverage Steph Curry in the way that, you know, the, the Warriors ultimately were able to, you know, who knows, right? I think probably best for Steph Curry, <laughs> he's stayed in Golden State and who knows, maybe even for the Bucks, maybe maybe we'll all end up feeling pretty good about it, especially if they can win the championship, at the honest. So JJ Redick, Tobias Harris is one that Bucks fans talk about a lot. And it's funny you mention 
the, the ramifications of certain trades and what that would have would have meant moving forward for the Bucks and potentially getting Giannis. And, uh, you know, this is another trade that potentially impacted that. I mean, the Bucks were awful, obviously. Uh, you know, it, that was an awful trade for the Bucks when you think about what happened that season because you think about that playoff series, the fact they only got 28 or 27, 28 games, whatever it was, out of, out of J.J. Redick. He never wanted to be here. He knew the Bucks were about to get wiped by the by the Miami Heat, regardless of what Brandon Jennings wanted to wanted to believe. Uh, but this was again a, a trade that was just really bad management of a young player that that showed a, a lot of promise and and really has had a, a pretty damn good career. Now, uh, certainly right now, I mean, we all talk about the contract with Philadelphia and feel that that was um, a big overpay. But uh, he he's been a guy that. Uh, has been a consistent scorer in the league, a talented offensive player, not a number one, but a really nice, uh, you know, second, third option on decent teams. We saw him probably play the best basketball of his career last year, uh, last season with the Clippers before he went to Philadelphia. So I think looking back, it's hard not to look at that trade and and think that uh, as you, without, you know, taking into account everything that happened after that, just that trade, uh, in a vacuum was was awful. Yeah, and I mean, um, again, just you know, I think the the it'll be a theme of of I think the other the other big one that I wanted to talk about yeah. <laughs> uh, in this uh, this theme with the the Grievous Vasquez trade. Um, you know, I think the thing that you look at with franchises like the Bucks, um, you know, what holds down some franchises versus others that that maybe have more success. I mean, I think it's just again burning assets, right? Like we're just wasting young talent. Um, and, and in ways that, that, you know, basically just destroy value. Right. And I think, you know, you take a guy like Harris who granted he hadn't done much, obviously, uh, during his time at the box, but you know, he was also the, young, I think either the youngest or second youngest player from that draft, uh, very, you know, no complaints at all about his personality, anything like that. Right. So, um, it's not like, you know, it's not like he did anything to get, you know, pushed to the curb other than maybe Scott Skiles just being Scott Skiles with young players. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it was just emblematic of really that era of kind of Bucks decision-making in a lot of ways, which I think is why, you know, when I think about all of these moves and, and what kind of caused the biggest frustration, I think you could argue that was the trade that really kind of um, wore a lot of fans out the most just because it was so black and white trading, you know, the first round pick from the year before trading that guy for a older player to prop up a team that was never going to go anywhere. And you knew there was a good chance that guy was going to leave. Right. So it was, it was literally just giving away uh, your first round pick from the year before. And then to see Tobias immediately go to Orlando and start to have, you know, such a positive impact, including, I mean, he had, you know, that one huge game against the Bucks where I think they won in Orlando, which just, you know, created like a you know a lot of bucks fans like brains pretty much melted having to watch that um during that that season right that just kind of <laughs> was not even throwing you know um putting salt in the wound it was like putting acid in the wound or something <laughs> um so you know and i think over time obviously the frustration sort of dissipated as obviously the bucks you know added Giannis in particular and, and to extent even jabari right because jabari was obviously viewed as kind of a higher end ceiling guy than, than Tobias. But obviously, ironically, that, that part obviously is, has never materialized, but certainly, you know, as Bucks fans, I think we eventually kind of got over that, but 
again, just that trade being so emblematic of kind of everything that a lot of Bucks fans hated about sort of the eight seater bust kind of Bucks mentality. I think that's that's why in a lot of ways it's it feels you could make the case that it was the worst trade. Um, but I think the the Vasquez trade is interesting because you know it, it's not thought about as much um, because for one the the players traded for that for Graves Vasquez um, on draft night 2015 were you know, a, a second round pick that night who turned out to be Norm Powell. So obviously nobody was attached to the pick that became Norm Powell. Um, and then the next pick obviously was, uh, was then kind of a, the can kick down the road in 2016. That was that Clippers pick uh, that became OG Ananobi. Right. And so um, I think at the time it was, you know, like I remember being at Steve Von Horn's apartment in Boston. We watched the draft that night and I remember us watching like Rashad Vaughn highlights and thinking is his upside basically like the current version of OJ Mayo where he just like is pretty good at hitting contested mid-range jump shots like that doesn't feel like a great scenario and with that trade it was kind of just like hard to figure out like what is the like man you guys just got put over a barrel to get Grievous Vasquez like where, where did where did that love of Grievous Vasquez come from and again you know he was coming off a really good season for Toronto um, but you had just obviously swung big time to get Michael Carter Williams. And so to go in with, you know, two picks for Rivas Vasquez on an expiring contract, um, again, sort of shades of, uh, of that, that mindset that we saw from the Bucks uh, on that to button the Tobias Harris trade. And, and obviously I think this one, you know, you can much more easily say, well, what if, because um, you know, I mean, the Bucks passed on OG Ananobi to draft DJ Wilson. And then, obviously, if they keep that pick, they could have picked Ananobi or, or another player at, I think it was the 23rd spot, I want to say, in that draft. Um, so, I mean, yeah, OG Ananobi would look pretty good on this roster. Right? <laughs> like, you'd feel pretty great about having him part of your young core uh, if you had, you know, kept that pick and actually drafted him or drafted him with the DJ pick. Um, or, you know, again, obviously there, there were other players that, that you could have picked there that, that would have provided value and been added to the roster. So that just felt like a, you know, I, let me, let me say this. I think in the current NBA, I think GMs are too smart to make moves. I, I would say generally probably GMs are too smart to, you know, trade a, a first round and a second round pick for a guy like Grievous Vasquez. Um, but unfortunately the Bucks at the time we're not smart enough to not do that. And uh, yeah, I think that one you can more easily, you know, given they already had Giannis and, and Chris Middleton, um, you can more easily say, well, what if, what if they had not made, made that mistake? Yeah, it was interesting. And, and when you look at that draft, obviously OG went 23. Uh, John Collins went 19 as well. Uh, if, if you're looking, if you were potentially going to have a pick or two picks around uh, that time. But the other thing that was really disappointing for me about this trade, other than the fact that uh, on the surface it sucked, but the other thing was I, this, this sort of erased, <laughs> I mean, this really erased what was a, a good trade for the Bucks a, great trade. a year yeah. earlier. So the Bucks actually traded yeah. uh, Carlos Delfino and Miroslav uh, Radulitsa to get Jared Dudley and this first round pick. Now, Jared Dudley at the time was considered damaged goods. And if, if you speak to, to Dudley, I, I caught up with him last year in Brooklyn and he, he detailed, and he's, done, he's mentioned this a few times, not, not just to me, obviously, but he's mentioned how important the Bucks medical staff, strength and conditioning coaches were in getting him back on the floor. And we know that he had a huge role with the Bucks, um, particularly defensively, leadership, 
he did play a, a role with, with Giannis certainly in his uh, younger years in terms of being a mentor and, and a veteran for him. So they get a guy that was a really, really valuable contributor and a first round pick. And then they just throw it in the fire afterwards. It was, <laughs> I mean, I remember at the time just thinking uh, how well that trade. And, and at the time you never, I didn't really have a whole lot of faith in, in the Bucks making solid trades or really good moves. And that was one that was a low key great trade that, that just turned into uh, absolutely nothing. So uh, that was definitely uh, the frustrating thing for me uh, with that trade. And the only other one, that we uh, might mention and real tough moves mentioned this as part of the question. He brought up the Jason kid, uh, the, the trade where they gave up two second round picks to bring him in. I mean, do you, I, I don't know whether we've ever spoke about this. Do you look back at that? I mean, obviously Jason kid at the end, I mean, it didn't end well. I think we were all very happy to see the bucks move on from the Jason kid era. Is there anything that you look back on? with Jason Kidd and you think, well, I'm glad he was around for that. Um, I mean, I think the best argument would be, um, I think putting the ball in Giannis's hands the way he did. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've, I've heard some people say, well, you know, anybody smart would have done that. Larry Drew talked about him being kind of like a point guard or whatever. Um, but I mean, nobody's done that since. Right. And I think it's, it's been, I mean, I think Budenholzer is smart for not using Giannis like a quote unquote point guard all the time. Um, I think balancing Giannis's ability to initiate and kind of bring the ball up with him playing more like a big and, you know, also being like a role man, things like that. I think, you know, again, just putting him in different spots, I think is, is helpful. Um, but I, I don't think that was necessarily like some obvious thing to, to use Giannis that way because uh, I mean, he really was. I mean, he was bringing the ball up the court. I mean, he had that that run um, that spring where I think, you know, him and Jabari and Middleton all averaged right around 19 points a game. I think Giannis was at like 19 points, like eight rebounds and over seven assists a game um, after the All-Star break that spring. And, uh, you know, again, it was interesting because it, it he didn't really get used like that moving forward. Um but, you know, I think that was additive to his growth and development as a player because uh, that was obviously where we saw him kind of really unleashed kind of for the first time um, when he had all those triple doubles and, um, you know, just really kind of started to, um, you know, be just a consistent force on the court night in, night out. Um, so, I mean, that I would say that would probably be the thing I would highlight. Um, but again, like, you know, I think – it's sort of those things like, especially from the outside, like trying to parse um, credit for players developing in certain scenarios and, and not others. I mean, it's all just a guessing game, right? And I think ultimately um, so much of it comes down to, especially in a guy like kids like Giannis, where I think his work ethic, his mindset, his mental strength is so clear. Uh, and obviously just, you know, the physical growth that, he, that he's gone through. Um, you know, it's not like Jason Kidd made him go grow from 200 to 245 pounds or whatever he is now, right? Um, you know, there's a lot more to it than than just kind of a coach deciding some stuff. So, um, so yeah, I would say you know um, certainly putting the ball in his hands, I think was was helpful. Um, you know, could he have gotten where he is now under any number of other coaches? Like, yes, I, I think Giannis would be a superstar regardless. Um, but is that journey maybe a little bit different with other guys? Maybe, maybe yes, but 
you know, do I think Giannis would have been, you know, an MVP candidate a year earlier if Mike Budenholzer was here a year earlier? I, I think so. Right? I mean, he was, Giannis was awesome the last year with Jason Kidd, but the Bucks simply weren't good enough. Um, and, you know, I think Giannis, especially you look at the way Giannis was discouraged from shooting, you know, three pointers under Jason Kidd, um, kind of the way his, his jump shot form also sort of changed and never really kind of found a good stable state. I think those are obviously kind of, you know, real marks against the kid area, kid era, as far as for, for um, Giannis in particular. Um, but I think, you know, again, if I'm going to try to be, uh, you know, um, feeling gracious now that the Bucks are awesome and, and try to take it easy on Jason Kidd for at least one thing, that, that would probably be it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of where I'm leaning to. And, and I also, I've got to the point where, as you sort of said, the Bucks are so good that uh, I try not to look back with too much uh, distaste to those couple of years. And, and, you know, ultimately we still, as you pointed to, got to see Giannis develop and, and turn into the player that he is now through those years. So I still look back at that as um, obviously a frustrating time for the team, but as far as being uh, someone that watches the Bucks on a daily basis and getting to see that nightly growth from Giannis, I mean, it was, it was still uh, a pretty fun time. So we always speak during the season uh, about the Bucks and how well they were playing and how there wasn't too many negative stories. So I feel like this mailbag over the last week or so has really brought us back. Um, and we've been able to talk about when things weren't so good for the Bucks and they weren't winning uh, every single game, but we've still got a couple of ones. Fortunately, we've, we've, we've got through all the basketball ones though, Frank. So I, I'm, I think that we can get back to these other ones at some point, maybe next week uh, and, and really wrap this thing up. But uh, we've, we've gone for a while here. Uh, so I think we can leave it there. We always do. We always do. It's a fair point. Have you got any, uh, have you got any final thoughts before we put the line through today? I've got no other thoughts. Um, I, I know that we'll have more questions to, to kind of get through next week. So, um, I'm done. It's, it's after midnight here, uh, in the central time zone. So I feel like, uh, we gotta, we gotta wrap this baby up. All right. So again, as always, I remind you of another one of our podcasts on the lockdown podcast network, rejecting the screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko two times a week. As I said the other day, that's a fun one to listen to. So check that one out. If, you finish up with this one. As I said, if you did miss the chat with Andrew Boger, go listen to that one. That was a fun one that was replayed from earlier in the season. So uh, I think some of the things we've spoke about uh, on this podcast are certainly relevant. But outside of that, we are going to wrap it up and we'll leave it there for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman. We'll speak to you guys next time.